Welcome to Twitch of the Death Nerve, a cult movie podcast that takes a deep dive on a different topic each episode. Our wide-ranging discussions will touch on genre, culture, and the history of psychotronic cinema. I'm Charles. I'm Sam. And folks, we are tired. Uh, not as tired as we are during the horror but we just got back from Exhumed Films' 12-hour exploitation movie marathon, The X-Fest. It's their 13th... 13th or 11th? It's our 11th. 11th year, but I think it was 13 yeah. hours, not 12. Well, yeah, it was that fucking was long. It was long. It's the 11th year they've been doing it. They started it 13 years ago, but had a two-year uh, hiatus during the COVID. Thanks a lot, COVID. The pandemic. Uh, Don't get this podcast labeled. Um, and we're sitting here with our dear friend, Ian Galloway. Welcome to the show, Ian. Hello, hello. How's it going? Thank you for dragging your carcass out of bed. <laughs> yeah, after a 12-hour movie marathon, you gotta drag your carcass around to places if you want to do anything. Uh, Ian owns a record shop in Philadelphia. And folks, I know what you're thinking. This guy must be a total asshole. But you would be completely surprised. Ian, you are the, the antithesis of the record store owner stereotype. You know, like I when I picture a record store owner, I'm thinking like some gatekeeper who's got a million fucking opinions and always is telling you how you're wrong about this and that. You are someone who fucking loves everything and you are an anti gatekeeper and you're just one of the coolest dudes in the whole world. Come visit me when I'm working at the store. Your opinion may change. (laughs) (laughs) I actually only know you in the in the movie world where I'm always so shocked that you just love everything. Like, you go see a movie, and I'm like, wow, I can't believe you saw that movie. And you're like, yeah, it was great. Well, I probably wouldn't go to that many movies if I didn't love them. So, <laughs> I, you know, for me, it's, you know, every one and a half hour to two hour visual storytelling experience is usually on the good side. <laughs> well, good for you, That man. is such a generous <laughs> way to phrase it. But it also, it blows my mind because I feel like between all the stuff you do for beautiful world and all the events you constantly go to. It's like the number of times that Charles and I have gone to see a movie and you're walking out of a movie by yourself. It's like, do you ever go home? Yeah. (laughs) Or or like after some like crazy event where we watch like three movies in a row, we're all like dead tired. Our eyes are bloodshot and you're going clubbing and you're strapping (laughs) up. You're going out for the night. So yeah. That's that's Ian, everybody. He's, he's has more energy than both of us combined. Absolutely, <laughs> not today, sadly, but you know. Yeah, today we're all feeling pretty rough. We're working but on it. We're honestly, working on it. These rough feelings that we have were so worth it. This year's X Fest was one of the best of all time. Truly, Just an incredible lineup, perfect like flow from movie to movie. You get your tonal shifts. You get. You get everything this day. Oh, man. I, I love the X-Fest. Fuck the 24-hour horror The X-Fest is the greatest day of the year. Or, no, I, I lied. The, it's the second greatest day of the year. Horror the best. But th- I think they're, for me, they might actually be equal. Yeah. And because they're six months apart, it's, it's like... perfect. There's enough love in my heart for both equally. Yeah, and and this is all run by Exhumed Films, which is Harry, Dan, and Jesse just like three pillars of the East Coast film scene who, I mean, I feel like they've had such an influence on not really necessarily my, my taste in movies or my like critique of film or anything, but just on the way that I watch them and like the way that I like love movies is seeing them in a packed theater, 
You don't know what you're going to get. There's like a list of hints. It's the, it's the greatest feeling in the world. I love these events. And on, on this day, we got seven movies with a, it's a mystery lineup, and each one came with a hint. And uh, you guys want to just kind of jump right into movie number one? Yeah, I, I think if also if for some reason this is your first uh, Exhumed Films Marathon episode of ours, you might want to go back and listen to the very first Harathon one we did where we really break down like yeah, all the about history the of boys, their, yeah. their screenings and how amazing they are. After every one of these events, I get this feeling that I need to go home and write like a love letter to them. Like I want to like pull out right a now. typewriter <laughs> and like write it and like, you know, put lipstick on and kiss it and send it to them. Cause these are truly just like life bringing events that like power me through the rest of the shitty year. This he- year, especially was every movie was a banger. I've never been to one of their events where it was like as solid as this one after another. Truly. And just perfect. Just- Even that, like all the rewatches were like, things that I couldn't leave for. So there was no moment I could not be Uh, there. It was truly a perfect year. All right, let's get into it. Movie number one. I cried. Out the gate. I screamed. Out the gate. The clue was 90s Hong Kong action classic. And when you read that for clue number one. It could mean fucking anything. It could mean anything, but (laughs) goddamn, it's just so nice to see those words all together. And it's, you don't even got to wait for them. Raging unseen behind a dark empire. A secret power bids for the soul of a city, steeped in the blood of an undeclared war, haunted by memories of betrayal and driven by revenge. A fallen warrior will battle a nemesis seduced by the promise of absolute power. In a conflict without limits, the fire of retribution will consume all who stand in its way. Zhao Yun-Fat, Simon Yam, and Anthony Wong in one of the most daring films from two decades of action cinema. Full Contact. Okay, the, the title card comes up. I, I got a hyped as soon as I saw a bald monk in the beginning, and I'm like, oh, we're in Thailand. I know what fucking movie this is. I knew is. exactly what it was, but yeah. I was like, this does not, this is, something is wrong here. All right, so this movie was 1992's Full Contact, the Ringo Lam fucking action classic with Simon Yam, Anthony Wong, Chow Yun Fat, but we were treated to a real treat. Treated to a treat. Wow, I, yeah, I'm doing great today, you're, folks. You're, you're gonna be fine. The title card we got was Hard Boiled 2, and it was the English dub. That means this is fully uncensored. I've seen this movie twice now in 35, both with subtitles under the Full Contact original title. They cut out the sex scenes, a couple blood spurts that don't quite make it, some innuendo gets chopped, and here it is, uncut with a ridiculously fun dub. I love this movie so much, and it's actually funny that you're here for this episode because the way that I saw Full Contact is our friend Josh, who works for Ian and was on one of our Harthon episodes, Josh brought a DVD of Full Contact to my house. I don't remember why. It was yours. He left it there. It stayed at my house for like a year, and that's how I finally saw the movie. So thank you. It's, no problem. It's now one of my favorites. Something I randomly bought at the flea market, and because I'm a Chow Yun Fat like super fan, and then as soon as I watched it, started handing it around to people because this is yeah. this is a movie that is just 
It's perfect. It's perfect. It's amazing. I mean, I did not love it when I was a kid because I I was a huge Giant Fat John Woo fan, and those movies are super serious, like action, melodrama, like hard hitting flicks. And this one, Ringo has more fun. Ringo is a, a party animal. You know, the the guitar licks are always playing. The girls are always dancing. The motorcycle close ups, like it's, the action isn't as frenetic and realistic as John Woo, but I think it's better. It's more fun. It's ridiculous. It's, there's visual gags in an action scene. It's. I also was ridiculously excited that the marathon opened with this because it has one of the greatest queer characters in all of cinema, which is Simon Yam's The Judge. Oh, yeah. Who, oh, he's so cool. His outfits like, are just amazing. Like, snake skin, purple fucking hankies always going all over his face. Well, he's a magician. The tuxedo shirts, the ruffles underneath it, it's, they're <sighs> so good. So amazing. Yeah. And, like, more importantly, like, there are definitely some stereotypes to his character, but it's treated very seriously like he is openly gay yeah he has this cute little twink who comes around with him but he's like a serious antagonist seriously and and everyone around him like all of his like straight they respect like, the shit out of him yeah they they defer to him at all times and there's it's never there's like a whole sequence in a gay bar and the movie like never a lot of times, Hong Kong movies have this like homophobic undercurrent to We're them. We're all gonna get AIDS. Where yes, exactly. They make AIDS jokes all the time. I mean, not all of them, of course. Like some of the trashy ones that we like do. Yeah. But it was yeah, it's very respectful to have like yeah. I mean, he's a gay villain, but I mean, he's fucking awesome. He's so cool in the role. And, and... he's so horny for Chow Yun Fat's oh, character. Oh yeah. Oh man, this movie is <laughs> horny as hell. The, like... the one line he, the Chow Yun Fat, delivers to him was like. Towards the end, when he they were talking about meeting up, and he's talking about how excited he makes him, and he's like, "You should come then." It's like, yeah. what the <laughs> hell? Oh my gosh, it's so hot. Every line is awesome. There's a line that I caught in this. I haven't watched it dubbed in so long, or maybe even ever. I don't know if I've ever seen it dubbed. There's this line. It's almost like a throwaway line where Chayun Fat says something all like, "I have the luck of the devil." And I was like, oh, Luck of the Devil is a great title. Yeah, this... Full Contact doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, it's just a cool action movie title. <laughs> it sounds like it could... a sports movie. It yeah, does. It, it, yeah, any movie could be titled Full Contact, and it's like, yeah, all right, that's fine. But, like, Luck of the Devil is a sick title. And Hard Boiled 2. Isn't there another movie called Hard Boiled 2? The yes. Last Blood? The Last Blood was re retitled as Hard Boiled 2. It came out before Hard Boiled. Which is some bullshit. Yeah. But it had, <laughs> it wasn't like a huge hit or anything, but it has this awesome hospital shootout in the end. So they were like, okay, let's fucking call this Hard Boiled 2. And I mean, obviously, Hard Boiled was a hit in the US. So any other movie that has multiple actors from Hard Boiled, like Anthony Wong, Chai Yun Fat. Yeah, call it fucking Hard Boiled too. Get the It totally makes sense uh, to market it here. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? But I think also like not just was his character heightened and amazing, but every character in this movie was heightened comically in the best possible way. Yeah. Yeah, the strong got... man, the little yes. man, the sexual promiscuous lady who is oh, just she's like awesome. the... she's virgin. So good. Virgin is so the, cool. The she, fact that her character's character. name is Virgin, they almost sort of feel like they walked off the the couple, Virgin and the the big muscle man. It feels like they walked off the set of like Return of the Living Dead into a Hong Kong yes. action. Yes, they're movie. like Return of the Living Dead characters <laughs> for sure. So it's trash and uh, suicide. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, they're so awesome. But I think in this whole movie that's populated with all these over-the-top comic book characters, 
Anthony Wong, who is one as well, is probably the best of the bunch. He has so much to do and such like deep pathos that you wouldn't expect in some like jokey, silly, heroic bloodshed flick. I mean, he goes from pitiful, sniveling coward who you meet like stuck in a car door window window and and he's being beaten. One of two uh, headlock in a car window scenes that we got yesterday. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) More on that later. But he goes from this like sniveling coward who has to betray his friend to like this gangster playboy who's like kind of brutal like in the gang with the judge. And then back to trying trying to to redeem himself to redeem himself he has such true pathos and you never love him or hate him you kind of pity him and he's just so good at that anthony wong is truly truly my king definitely the most complicated role like his his jealousy is just like played so perfectly and his insecurity (sighs) i think is yeah this this movie is so good and it was just the perfect opener for the day it's like a rock and roll party flick and and the audience loved it it was great seeing that with the crowd i've seen it before with the crowd and it always always delivers great opening great opening to the day so harry has this pattern at least so i missed the first couple of x fests i think i was just out of town or wasn't wasn't sure if i was ready for that kind of marathon but the ones that i've been to he sort of set up this pattern where he would start with an absolute banger like one year he started with siege one year he started with dog day which is one of my favorite assault movies precinct 13 was an opener one year in some of those years where he had like the best movie first, it can be a little frustrating because it's such a hard act to follow. And I was a little bit afraid that with full contact, that might be the case, but like somehow it wasn't. Oh my God. So we went from a fucking perfect movie to a perfect movie. (laughs) Yes. An even better movie. Movie number two, the clue they gave was amazing drama slash action film inspired by but not really a part of the black exploitation genre. Now, anyone who listens to the show, any regular listeners will know that a year ago we covered one of my all-time favorite films, The Spook Who Sat by the Door, 1973 film from Ivan Dixon, and that's what movie number 2 was. And Just I I <sighs> was so happy that in the clue he he says that it's inspired by but not really part of the black exploitation subgenre and we talk a lot in our episode about yeah. that real frustration about that that we definitely have about this tendency to just call movies black exploitation if they have a lot of black actors. Or, or yeah, you came out in the seventies and you have a majority black cast. That's a black exploitation film. It's, it's just like no, it's not. And, and and this is coming from someone who loves black exploitation movies. They're fucking awesome. They're fun. But this that is, is a just, black liberation movie. This is a black power movie. This movie is fucking communist as shit. It's black nationalist. Like, it gets your blood pumping, at least mine. Like, I was, like, giddy and shaking the whole time, like, not quoting the movie out loud, but, like, mouthing the words as they came along because I just love this movie so much. Raise your right hand and repeat after me. The spook who sat by the door. The controversial best-selling novel now becomes a shocking screen reality. The story of the first black agent in the CIA. Whoever they select will be the best-known spy since 007. Their first mistake was letting him in. And let me congratulate you on being the first Negro officer 
in the Central Intelligence Agency. Their worst mistake was letting him out. You really want to mess with Whitey? I can show you. For five years, he was their token Negro. Freeman, you people must serve. For five years, he kept his cool. Man, you just don't belong. I think you'd be happier with a mop in your hands. Like your mama. And in return, they taught him how to spy. How to fight. How to kill. For five years, he was the spook who sat by the door. And then, he turned gangs of ghetto kids into a highly trained guerrilla army. We live off the land. We match technology with spontaneity and improvisation. Men against machines, brains against computers. Now, if you don't think it can work, you check out Algeria, Kenya, Korea, and Anon. Can you dig it? He turned a summer riot into a revolution. This is not about hate white folks. It's about love and freedom enough to die or kill for it if necessary. Yesterday, a novel. Today, a movie. The spook who sat by the door. office now air conditioned courtesy of the black freedom fighters of chicago uh ian what do you think of the spook who sat by the door uh it's a masterpiece it's to imagine this movie being made by united artists coming out when it did at the time is just like how transgressive was this it's like insane it's basically a call to arms it is and apparently the release didn't go so well like Mm -mm. yeah yanked by the fbi which you will not be surprised it was so transgressive and it was such not just a call to arms but a very effective call to arms like it's hard to watch this movie as someone who's sympathetic to a lot of the plights that they bring up and not want to get all your friends together, organize some fucking like, not just meetings, not just conversations, but like actual, like this is how we learn how to shoot, how we learn how to build, how we learn how to work as a team, work as a guerrilla army in a city. It's just, Oh my God, what a fucking picture. It does a lot of other things. That is like the obvious thing it does. And it does that amazingly, but it, picks out so many small things the tokenization the color the colorization within the community and like so many the the movie despite being a great piece of black nationalist propaganda it also recognizes that there are race traders within the black community class traders within them who want to just be part of white society who you can't trust you know i mean and it's just it's such a uh, just an amazing amazing movie and and you mentioned this earlier about how it was so transgressive that it got pulled from theaters the fbi went to movie theaters and basically threatened projectionists if they didn't give them the reels and they destroyed them like it was like a crackdown and i i highly recommend anyone who was not at this event who has not seen this film Please watch this movie. It yeah, is we'll, so we'll good. Send it to you Anytime. If you can't find it. There's a terrible rip on YouTube, which is how I first saw it. It's a little hard to watch, but on a small TV, a small screen, it looks a little better. Yeah. If if anyone wants me to send a file for this movie or to the documentary that's really good, I, I don't have the title off the top of my head, but it's a documentary on the writer Sam Greenlee and the making of the film. I have I have that as well. I will send that to anybody anytime. Just 
hit me up. This is an important, incredible yeah, movie. The, and the point that you made about how it does some great things with nuance, like where it recognizes that certain black people who maybe are like quote passing have a whole different slew of challenges of their own. And in the making of documentary, they interview that actor who talks about like part of why it was so easy for him to take on the role is because he was just echoing things that he experienced. And I think yeah. a lot of them were radicals. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Very much so. Like a, very, almost everyone that was involved in this movie their careers were railroaded afterwards. So they never really were, did much else. Ivan Dixon, the director, he did have a career after this. He, he worked in TV a lot and he, he made some other films. Trouble Man. Trouble Man. Hell yeah, he's awesome. But that's just because he was, he's such a talented director that like. Yeah, it's really it, well directed. Yeah. You, I do have to bring up one, one minor thing I'd be amiss if I didn't, is that although the women characters are really interesting, that the, the lady who's basically more inside of society and has, went to college and has the like, good like, job. The bougie lady. She sells them out. The sex worker who's, yeah. who's getting money from the CIA helps him out and gives him the info but the lack of female revolutionaries is yeah. feels un, untrue to the time of what was happening especially because their women were so important to so many radical especially urban guerrilla movements in the 70s and i mean this is basically the yeah. bla this is like maybe the the name kind of connotes it's something to do with the symbolese liberation army with the cobra as the name of the group but yeah is the, the, Black the liberation army yeah. is the bla if if you aren't familiar and there's so many women involved and i've also heard that criticism from other because i've showed this movie to a lot of my friends some like queer radical friends and they've always said, like, I kind of wish they let a woman hold a gun in this movie. True, I agree. But they made this movie in 19, was it 1970? It was 73. 73. 73. This is insane that they made this yeah. movie in 1973. Whatever criticisms, this is yeah. a must I, watch it's, movie. It's a five, it's a, a five must, star movie. Five yeah. stars over and over again. Also, wild to think that Sam Greenlee like actually lived some of this and was in this yeah CIA he, or and... sort of yeah 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 he was in some intelligency stuff and just on a personal note i have a funny just relationship to this movie because my grandfather helped set up the cia at least according to family lore and my dad hardcore radical you know hardcore communist very close to going underground arrested many times so it's like obviously did your dad see this movie I, I wish I had seen it to ask him, but he was gone by the time that uh, that I had seen it. And pr I would have to say he at least knew about it because he was very involved with like, yeah, you know, black power politics of the time and stuff That's like that. That's awesome. Although like, yeah, I'm not black, so I don't have like that relationship to this movie. But, sure, you know, I still have. I think it's to me, it's always interesting to hear about people who get their radicalism from their parents or from a family member, because I think so many, at least middle class people that I know, it's it's like a reaction against your family and not like something that you're inspired by a family member so that's awesome shout out to your dad i did originally buck against them and then a communist dad is never happy with an anarchist child so you know <laughs> there's, there's a lot of uh, infighting Esta mañana me levantado. All 
All right, all right, let's move on. While The Spook Who Sat By The Door is a perfect movie to have right after Full Contact, just get this, like, fun, ridiculous movie to this serious and but awesome, like, action, political fucking thriller. Revolutionary thriller. But it also, I think, was great to have it second because everyone's still alert and... Yes, they're ready to watch a real movie. You know, you're still in, okay, let's watch a movie territory. And then movie number three... Now we're fucking cooking. Now it's the X-Fest. Now we got some real sleazy fucking trash here. All right, all right. The clue is 1970s Hicksploitation slash Swampsploitation favorite. I love that clue. When I see uh, Swampsploitation on a clue, especially when it's next to Hicksploitation, you just know you you're know getting you're a, treat. a treat. I, I was thinking maybe this was going to be some kind of like moonshine distilling fucking card chasing movie there are so many good things that he could have gone with and then my my next guess because it said swamp exploitation was this movie called stanley about this like snake wrangling guy and then sam guesses what if it's gator bait and lo and behold when they found desiree a fiery cajun wildcat it was too late nothing behind but swamp nothing ahead but hell gator bait Untamed and deadly, she ruled the swamps of Louisiana with a blazing gun and a luscious smile. Gator bait. Was she animal or woman? Gator bait. The Cajun wildcat men would die for. Five did. Gator bait. Rated R. Well, I was so I was actually hoping for Scum of the Earth, which is I think in the process of being restored. So I didn't know if maybe Harry got a hold of a restored print, but it's also way nastier than Gator Bait. Gator Bait's pretty nasty. But but the thing about X-Fest in the past is I feel like there was more of a focus on like sexploitation and sleaze and some really nasty exploitation movies. And I think he's moved away from that a little bit, which that's my only complaint of the day is like, we did not see enough titties. I don't know. Well, here's the thing. We, 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 I'm very happy about that. Anytime I don't get a Last House movie, I'm sure. this movie is perfect, but it's like yeah. just as far as I want to, yeah. like, for me, watching these movies. Yeah. I'm glad I missed the first few years because... I like having my buttons pushed, you know? I, I mean, I've there, there have been movies during the X-Fest where I'm like, all right, I'm tapping out, you know? And I kind of, I like that. I like you that like there's a threatening... Defeated? Yes, there's a threatening nature to these marathons and honestly i I don't want to undersell gator bait it's a pretty gnarly flick i mean the the middle set piece that kind of um it's kind of a rape revenge movie sort of but like not exactly like the lead character never never really gets violated but she's taking revenge and it's clear that like given the chance any one of these grease balls like it's like the cops are teaming up with these good old swamp boys to fucking track down this Cajun alligator poacher lady or yeah well the interesting thing about it is she doesn't go through a transformation she's just a badass the whole time she's in the beginning she's out there catching animals she's a badass chased down she escapes without hurting anyone and then they hurt themselves and then some snakes were harmed in the oh yeah she (laughs) she she throws snakes at him she throws snakes into their fucking boat it's badass I think it's a movie that if if you don't like super graphic sexual violence in movies 
it's one that I think would be a good kind of intro to exploitation. Because it's an intro to graphic sexual violence yeah, in movies. But, but it's like, it's <laughs> Baby's first of, graphic sexual violent movie. But like it's always hovering in the background yes. in a really overt way in the script. But yeah. it's like it doesn't get there's, too gross. There's another movie that uh, they played during a different X-Fest called, I think it was Death Weekend where it felt like a rape revenge movie the whole time. And it was super, super sleazy and gross and just made you want to crawl out of your skin. But there was no sexual assault. It just made you feel like that the whole time, which in a way is it's kudos. It's very impressive. And, and Gator Bait kind of does that. I mean, there there is that middle set piece scene that I, I really don't want to spoil because holy shit, when this scene happens that we're not saying what it is, I responded like holy shit i said holy shit out loud there was gasps it was it's brutal it's this it's shocking and it's it's the whole movie after that you live in the movie that's like post that scene so you live knowing that this movie's willing to get really nasty and dangerous which gives it that like gross grimy sleazy coating that Ah, I loved Gator Bait. I really did. I, I thought it was going to be just like a trashy Dumbo movie, which it is. Don't get me wrong, but it was it was good. It was really it's fun. It's written by a woman, right? Am I yeah, wrong? Yeah, it was just that, written and co-directed. Yeah, it really changes a lot of like what this could have been. You could see like it could really be brutal, and the and the sexual violence could go a lot further. But it's just as effective. I think the way they also talk about how the this sexual violence against women is like generational. The parents are there approving, also like almost encouraging it. And yeah, it's, it was, as long as it's not your sister, but and that's also like, who cares if it is? I know, and that's the kind of like grossness that's in a lot of these exploitation flicks that just, I mean, there's a reason why they haven't been reappraised and rediscovered by like a massive audience because they're nasty you but know this is and great. this is really great because it's hicks versus hicks and yeah. the best people are the most hick people yeah and the ultra hicks the fucking yeah, deep cajun reptile trappers but there's like an interesting and and they don't get too much into this because it is a fun exploitation movie but there is this interesting kind of anti-Cajun racism where it's like they look down on these swamp Cajuns yeah, they call as them being like, like other. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. No, they were calling the Cajuns coonies the whole time. Which like at first I was like, what are they saying? Because I know that's like a, a yeah, different racial slur. But I was like, oh, they're talking about Cajuns. That's like what they're calling them. And Claudia Jennings. Oh, bless, Claudia Jennings. Bless her heart, has the fucking worst Cajun accent oh, ever. Man. But it doesn't ruin anything. I know they they do the <laughs> they do the John Wick route where they realize that she's you know not the best at delivering dialogue. <laughs> I mean, at least in the Cajun accent. Oh yeah, she just doesn't say much. Oh my gosh, and they it's they, even they they keep better. it they keep it very minimal. And and the directors that you mentioned, it's this husband and wife duo called Beverly and Ferd Sebastian. They've made a handful of other movies. I was talking with a, a friend of ours outside about them, and apparently they had a pretty wild career, and then they went kind of Christian crazy. Is that, is that the proper exp- expression? They like went like real Christian and kind of like were felt bad about their career a little bit, and then started like, you know, I don't know, a, like a Greyhound rescue. I don't know. The Beverly and Ferd Sebastian are real... Interesting yeah. folks I kind of want to look more into. Yeah, I, I think Ian is right that the reason that this is kind of toned down or it's, I don't even want to say that it's toned down because it does get nasty, but I think 
the fact that it gives Claudia Jennings character so much agency and she's never humiliated. Yeah, it's she... because it was written and co-directed by a woman is my guess. I also really loved some of the POV shots. It felt almost like a Friday the 13th movie where you're looking yeah. through the trees and you're seeing her in the background. Yeah, there was it was great, you know, swamp photography. If you ever wanted to hang out in the bayou, there you go. This yeah, is the flick a, for you. It's a beautiful movie. I just wish there was more. And I know that this is difficult and probably was outside of their budget. I would love to see more people eaten by alligators. Yeah. The, the puppies of the swamp. Yes, there was great implied alligator eating, just like showing an alligator crawling in the water when someone's like, you know, in a different shot in the water. But yeah, we love alligators here, folks. It's really not particularly that gory of a movie in general. No, no. Lots, no. lots is implied. I mean, that's the best thing about a lot of exploitation flicks and like sleazy flicks is they don't need the gore to be like evil, disgusting movies, Skin you know? They make you do the work in your head, and it's just, it's worse that way. Also, connecting to the last movie, a lot of these movies often connect in, during the, these. Uh, oh, yeah, that's a fun game that yeah. I don't know if we mentioned on the last Sex Fest episode. Is what's like, the, what uh, is the theme here? Theme? What's the underlying. Uh, <laughs> well, anti well, this one was anti police, as the last one was as well, which I thought was interesting, where yeah. the police are the villains. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I fucking love it, you know? Yeah. It's and also true of the movie to come after this. All right, all right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Number lots of, four. Lots of anti-cop action. Number four on our list, the clue we got was brutal, rarely screened exploitation slash religious allegory. The movie was Valerio Surli Sur... Oh, fuck me. Zerlini. Uh, the movie was Valerio Sorlini's 1968... Did I say that right? Zerlini. Zerlini, okay. The movie was Valerio Zerlini's 1968 film. Did I say that right this time? It's a Z, not an S. Zerlini. All right, all right, all right. The movie is Valerio Zerlini's 1968 film, Black Jesus. So this is one that I almost watched this for my birthday marathon earlier this year. I always do like a little movie marathon on my birthday. And this was the one that I wanted to open with. For some reason or another, I didn't. So seeing this title come up, I got to tell you, my heart leapt. And I was just so thankful that I didn't, you know, watch some shitty version of it. Because there's no real release of this movie, at least as far as I know, of on physical media. That anticipation of knowing that you might get to see a rare movie on 35mm makes you kind of pause at yeah. Watching one of these like shitty online bootlegs. I know it's it's so funny. So before we get into this movie, I want to say this little aside that our friend Josh said. We're we're sitting sitting next to me the whole time, and at one point he looks at me and he's like, "I watched three of these movies last year." And I looked at him and I'm like, "You watch 1,600 movies a year. I see your letterbox. Like you watch <laughs> a thousand like so many movies. Like yeah, of course there's movies that are getting played again. I watch like 10 movies a year. That's it. You know. I just read the synopsis on the back." we have to cover it on the show <laughs> you're a dirty liar all right so black jesus sam what can you say about black jesus so i expected black jesus to be kind of like the spook who sat by the door like i, I assumed it was some like 70s u.s black exploitation adjacent movie and had no idea that it was directed by an italian marxist friend of pier paolo pasolini was totally shocked when this actor, Franco Chitti, who is one of Pasolini's 
early collaborators. He's the star of a lot of his films like Akitone and Mama Roma. And part of why he started working with Pasolini is because he's this basically working class guy. And a lot of the neo-realists use non-professional actors. And some of them, like Chiti, became a regular collaborator. And so his role in Black Jesus, where he's basically playing this like thief character, is it like it's so reminiscent of a lot of Pasolini films that I just I loved that about it that it felt like like just beyond any of my expectations. Yeah, Franco Chidi is awesome in the Decameron. He's like he's, so good he's in that. He's great in everything. And this movie is is an allegory of the final days of Jesus Christ. It's in in many ways. The, you all know the story of Jesus. He gets busted by the fucking cops. <laughs> they beat him up a little bit. They slap him around, and then they take him out back and and kill him. You know, that's basically it, you know. And for some reason, Christians fucking love that shit. They eat it up, man. It's like they're fucking bread and butter, you know. They they love the whole Jesus gets beat up, Jesus dies, well, sacrifice, yada, yada, yada I stuff. I think especially the Catholics like that beating and crucifixion yeah. bit. Suffering, they love it. They oh, love yeah. the fucking suffering. But here's the thing. I, I, lo- I really loved this movie. This movie was awesome. But... I feel like that is the least exciting Jesus story there is. You know, I mean, the dude could rise from the dead and turn water into wine. So yeah, the, like the, the fucking part where he gets beaten by the cops. Yeah, it's, come <laughs> on, man. Like, I mean, the fucking like evangelizing, flipping up tables, going fucking you know town to town and getting everyone all riled up about shit. You know, like Jesus the criminal. You know, but this movie is it's kind of like it's basically like the Passion of the Christ. You know, in a lot of ways, where Woody Strode is just getting abused. He's this African political political prophet. Well, he's almost. so he's inspired by the great Democratic Republic of Congo, I think, leader yeah. Patrice Lumumba. Directly inspired, but his it's definitely not the same story. So if you're looking for a, a retelling of his story, do not go to this, but it is oh. definitely, definitely very inspired. But there is, and I hope that one day we can see a print of this, there is a Patrice Lumumba movie that I've been dying to see. So the fact that we got to watch one similar it's now like making me want to see this movie even more there's this soviet african collaboration from 71 so like right around the same time called black sun that i think is a more overt telling of his story but like what a double feature that would be and to take a step back this was like an art house movie you know very widescreen windswept it took its time like Lots of suffering in empty rooms. Yes. And so, so many beautiful shots. Like the framing was out of control, especially inside the prison. And it was and, so beautiful. And because I think some of the framing was particularly amazing because Woody Strode is so tall that yeah. like to have him just like. And he's fucking over, ripped, man. He's like, got Overwhelming abs. the frame in, yeah. in this way that like I think really added to the allegory. Yeah, Woody Strode is so fucking cool. He's so awesome. And the fact that during X Fest, we got this art house movie in the middle of the day. Just. And, and it's, it's awesome. Yeah. And, but I mean, I just love that like. Having that kind of mix of tones. The tonal shift, yeah. like, everywhere, you know? It, you could get a weird kids movie next. You, you never know 
what's going to come at the during the X-Fest, which is why it's one of the best days of the year. And it's really cool that they don't pander because if they had these prints and, you know, a few years ago, they could have showed them when like this was like more of a cultural event where everybody well, BLM was like on like everybody's minds. But they waited till after, which is like great because it makes people think more when it's not already part of the cultural milieu. Oh, definitely. I really, really liked Black Jesus. It it felt like such a gift, you know, to to see a movie that I've been wanting to see forever that I just like never like I just didn't watch. And then here it is on 35 millimeter. Yeah, it probably would not have hit the same watching it at your birthday marathon where everyone's trying to hang out and party. I know. Versus in the middle of X-Fest when... We're like, okay, now it's time to be serious and think about how terrible the world is. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> happy happy to do it anytime. I just want to say real quick that I really loved, like, the real connection to La Mamba was that they both became martyrs. Yeah. And I think, because La Mamba had complete, obviously very different politics than Jesus. He wasn't a pacifist, et cetera, et cetera. But also one more thing about this that, again, you, you guys can cut this if you want to, but a personal aside is, like, I've been in a situation very similar to like the the prison here where I was like arrested and you could hear people being tortured and that's by far the hardest part of being tortured when you see these characters reacting to hearing the people are being hurt and you can't help them the powerlessness of that that's by far and they really captured that absolutely perfectly I think that's why Franco Chitti almost steals the film because those scenes when he's and, and he's introduced as this character who's just like this kind of grifter. I mean, there's this great scene where he lists out all his professions. He talks about how he was a sex worker and a mechanic. Oh, not just a sex worker. He said he worked in, in rough trade or like homo rough trade or something. And I was like, Oh, so great. I love that they threw that in there. Yeah. Yeah. And like hearing them say rough trade, I was like, Oh, okay. So did everyone that makes this like, you guys know you guys are fucking down that, like that's well Pasolini found him as a teenager pretty sure that's true to life for sure that's it's so sick well in a, when a time when everybody when Christians were considering themselves perfect like to have you know the, the the follower the person who connects to Jesus be the person who is like on the most edge of society is like perfect and and you see how deeply hearing that torture transforms him and in contrast they get this third person Played of all people by fucking Stephen Forsyth from Hatchet for the Honeymoon, who I always think is the same person as John Philip Law because they like look exactly the oh, same. Oh yeah, danger diabolic. But yes, but having Stephen Forsyth as this like beautiful Euro cult actor sitting in this cell not reacting to the torture, not wanting to help, it's like it makes it makes it even more gutting because it's like you have this guy who just doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't want to get involved, he doesn't care. And it's like, it's just, it's harrowing, which is why we needed to follow it with something that's a total palette changer. Oh my God, yo, this is fucking it. This is why X-Fest is so cool. Okay. This is perfect. Like a movie about God to a movie about the gods. Oh man, here we fucking go. All right, all right. (laughs) After Black Jesus, we get movie number five, The Clue. You love to read it. You love to fucking see it. Dumb, fun, Peplum sword and sandal silliness. Let's fucking go. So I thought my, my first guess was like, okay, it's a Peplum movie. They say Peplum. They're saying Peplum, Peplum, Peplum. It's going to be 50s. Yes, it's going to be a 50s movie, a 60s movie, maybe a 70s movie. But it's going to be in that 60s, you know, category. And I, I couldn't possibly guess what it was. I was just like, okay, maybe. Yeah, I didn't even bother. 
Really? I the the name I was throwing out just to like throw a guess out there was Mario Bava's Aladdin, but the movie we got was whoo whoo baby we were way <laughs> off. 1983, Luigi Cozy. We got Hercules starring my boy Lou Ferrigno. <laughs> He's got the biggest chest you've ever seen and the blankest eyes. God damn, I love that man. From the depths of space comes the strongest man on earth in the super adventure odyssey. Hercules. The incredible Lou Ferrigno is Hercules. In a battle with unearthly creatures, Hercules, the superhuman hero with the strength of an army. Hercules facing love and the bewitching forces of evil. Hercules? Yo, 100%. Oh my God, yes. So throughout this movie, there are all these characters with names like uh, like Cassiopeia and Daedalus, the fucking Ursa Minor Bear, Ursa Major Bear. And like maybe there's some fucking absolute pencil pushing nerds out there that know these characters from like Greek mythology. Greek mythology. Or or they're like, you know, stargazing losers that know them from the stars and, you know, fuck that. Daedalus is a character in Hercules. Luigi Cozy came up with these things. Because <laughs> This is just oh, truly along with some totally inexplicable robots. Oh my god, the robots <laughs> are so good! It's ah, what a a great movie that's just endlessly inventive. We talked about it a little bit in our sword and sorcery episode. Just this is one of those movies where I can't tell if the budget was huge or minuscule. Yeah, like it could truly. be either yes. way. Yes, because there's so much invention on the screen. Like at all times, there's a, a volcano eruption in the end of the movie. And, you know, there's a quick stock footage shot of a volcano spewing stuff. And then they get to their miniatures. And then they get to this, like, lava flow shot, which is basically what they did was it was, like, they were clearly pouring water down, like, a little miniature set. And they put orange filters on everything. So it looks like everything was on fire. It's just just brilliant use of special effects in every shot. And when there isn't a special effect on the screen, you got Lou Ferrigno pumping up his big ass fucking pectoral muscles. Oh my god! Oh yeah, I, I guess I was I was maybe a little unfair when I said we didn't get to see enough titties because we oh. saw him jiggling his constantly. Yes. And honestly, yeah, there, there weren't. Yeah, we didn't get a million pairs of titties today. But let's just say in Hercules, I heard audible gasps from the audience during scenes where someone would like. A lady would like bend over a little bit like they if by a lady you mean Sybil Danning Sybil yes. Danning oh my gosh people <laughs> were going top, nuts like it was and she had multiples of them her her incredible dress which like the cup part of the dress is flesh colored so when you first see her you're like does she just have boob cutouts yeah. but like the fact that she had these like they're called demi cups it's like a, a half cup but the way that her dress was designed was like you could basically see her nipple peeking out and she took full advantage oh my god yeah her her character what they were like listen we're gonna need you to breathe real heavy in this scene all right we're moving to a new set all right sybil danny can we get you breathing can you take a really deep breath and yep rise the chest perfect perfect all right let's move on oh what a fucking great movie the special effects are 
beyond amazing. The Zeus catching him while he's falling off the waterfall, so amazing. And then the joke following didn't tell me where to put him down. I, I loved every second of it. The yeah. Throwing the bear into space. Oh, throwing bears into space? You, you loved, it's great. It's the best. And the, the, the scene where he's told that his mom is dying and he runs back to like the family hovel in a, this comedically fast Yo. way. There has never been a dumber Hercules ever Her- and it, to be fair hercules is supposed to be pretty dumb like in mythology he's no no god i'm not trying to fucking brain shame him i'm just saying this is one empty-headed individual in this movie but but in the in the intro when the gods are basically giving the prologue and telling you why hercules is created they talk about how he's the strongest and most intelligent man oh my god his <laughs> He is just, he's slack-jawed and confused in every scene, but, like, confidently so. It's awesome. You you do love to see it. You and do. He, they're just, there's so many great actors from Italian cult cinema in this movie. Like, I lost my mind when I realized that Mirella D'Angelo who plays the lesbian journalist in Tenebrae yeah. plays Cersei. Oh, she's great. Like, she's so that's, she I think she's hands down things. the best actress in this movie. The oh, best yeah. actor of any kind in this movie. Yeah. She's so good. And Hard you feel agree. for her when she falls for Hercules. I don't know. Somehow it yeah, actually works. It the does. only acting that actually feels like at all genuine. Awesome. And oh man, I totally forgot. There's the one scene like towards the end of the movie when like the King of Africa shows up yeah. and it's, it's he's played by our boy Bobby Rhodes. And if you don't recognize that name, I guarantee you you recognize the man. He's in Demons and Demons 2. Demons 2. Oh my gosh, he's awesome. As a totally different character. Yeah, yeah, of. yeah. He's like the bodybuilder <laughs> in Demons 2 and he's the like the pimp guy in Demons 1. He's got that oh the best line in the whole movie in in Demons where he's like Watch out, she's a friend of mine. No, it's, uh, what the hell happened to Rosemary? And holy shit, she's a friend of mine. <laughs> she's a friend of mine. And it's, and it's not, the best part is it's not his voice. No, no, it's the dubber. <laughs> it's the dubber. I know, that's that's unfair. It's not him. It's the guy doing the dubbing who's really, and he really has a, hamming it up. he has a up. great voice. If you watch interviews of him talking about demons, he's, like, super excited about his role. But the fact that, like, you somehow have this character... And character actor who's so iconic and part of it is because of someone else's voice. It's just wild. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it. It's just a feeling. The movie's to blame for all this. She's right. She put on that mask and scratched herself. Get it? Because of that scratch, she became a demon. An instrument of evil. Like they said in the damn movie, you heard them. Believe me, we gotta stop the movie. Right, yes, it's the movie. Stop the movie. <laughs> Where's the projection booth? Upstairs, next to the gallery. Right, we'll all go up there together. If we stick together, no one gets hurt. Got it? Yeah. Okay, let's go. But also, it's great having, to see him here. Also having the King of Africa in this movie feels like a callback to the last movie with the King of Kings. And yes. The, yeah. Yeah, Amazing. there's, listen. We're we're cooking over here, folks. All the, all this shit, it's connected. It's all connected. It's so good. Also, we didn't mention. So I I know I briefly said like I was really excited that 
you know, it's Pride Month. We started with a movie with this great gay character. In Hercules, there are a fucking thousand rainbows. They wore, they walk over a rainbow bridge. Yeah, the Rainbow Road. <laughs> also a Pride Festival outside of the... Yeah, uh, every yes. time I, I had to run out of the theater to blast my, like, mango vape pen, outside was just fucking, you know, drag queens doing splits in the street, and there was this, like... A bunch of like queer teens in a band playing Rage Against the Machine songs. Oh. It was so like, oh man, it was awesome. Like suburban town Pride Fest, magical. It's it's and way the, better than Philly Pride. You the, know, the Colonial got so into Pride that they printed Pride specific shirts for all their staff and like. The we took like a very brief, like maybe eight to 10 minute dinner break during Hercules. And while we were eating this like whole line of drag queens used the the, like nice downstairs colonial bathrooms to get ready. Oh, my God. They looked fucking great. They did. Like I was just smiling so hard. The incredible Lou Ferrigno is Hercules, a Golan Globus production from the Cannon Group. Okay, we're going we're gonna to move on here, folks. We're moving on to movie number six, which is, I mean, I know I keep saying this, but it is a perfect, perfect X-Fest movie. This is the kind of shit you want at the X-Fest. We got, the, the, the clue here was schlocky Filipino crime craziness. And boy, oh boy, were we pleased to see Bobby Suarez's 1981 The One-Armed Executioner. Which I... I'm not actually super familiar with like that much Filipino cinema, but I feel like any Filipino action movie I watch, even though there's sometimes very low budget stuff and inept dubbing, they're always just so wonderful and fun. Yeah. They love blowing stuff up. They sure do. And what's so crazy about these movies, like this one was a lot of fun for sure. I I've always known about it because it has one of the greatest movie trailers of all time it's got like the movie trailer voice guy going the one-armed executioner and he's like you know got that like real grindhouse voice voice. yeah that guy the one-armed executioner haunted by the memory of a love that refuses to die he ruthlessly seeks revenge the one-armed executioner but it was in like the last chunk when like everything started blowing up and they were like blowing up the they're, they're called bird's nests they're like these like little watchtowers and stuff and they love blowing them up in these movies and there's always like four dudes standing inside this like crow's nest and they they blow it up and they have to jump out at just the right it's time so because scary. they're fucking they're blowing you up man people got hurt making yeah, this movie Fil- so they, filipino Hong Kong and Indonesian stuntmen, like, they yeah. just deserve some sort of recognition beyond but what they've got. I, I would I would take Hong Kong out of that equation yeah, a bit. Yeah, because they get and, recognition. But not, not for that reason, but because the Hong Kong stuntmen, I mean, most of them went through the Peking Opera School. They went through all this formal training. They're fucking ballet dancers. They're acrobats. They're not you just know. guys jumping out These of the are, tower. Like, you're watching regular-ass fucking dudes getting blown up. and or like jumping out of speeding and cars. Like, and getting thrown through fucking doors and thrown through fucking walls and windows. And you know they're not using sugar glass. These guys are getting beat up for these flicks. And yeah, it's, it's just... pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah, it is. 
How do you feel about stuntman carnage? Uh, this was, yeah, there's definitely were a few people going to the hospital making this movie. The, by the end, the, all the boat action on the river, there was people going down for sure. Yeah. Yeah, they were not having the best day of their life. But actually, my favorite part of this movie was his fall. I don't know why I really like it really spoke to me. These like Filipino, not not, the drama doesn't usually work for me as well as this one did. But when he loses his wife and becomes an alcoholic and before he goes back into training, I really, really felt for it. I thought it was well done. They spent a lot of time on that, like more than I was anticipating. The one-armed executioner stars this guy who is the perfect amalgamation of Henry Silva and Eric Estrada. Franco Guerrero. Yeah, he's... he's, he's, He stars in most of Bobby Suarez's movies. I want to see more of him for sure. But this guy, he's like a... uh, He's an Interpol agent and he's tracking down some drug... Or some... Not drug runners, but uh, gun runners. And... He's getting he's getting real close to him, so they send a hitman to stab his wife with a fucking katana and hack off his arm. And he's just this broken man. And he's just like, he's really fucked up. He's drinking, he's falling over, he's knocking over apples all over the ground, and no one's helping him <laughs> pick him up. And 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 the guy eventually goes and, and does the like Shaw Brothers movie training montage where he, he's training how to use one arm he's fucking up he's falling off the the, the, the tree branch the log he's got to walk across and then he's getting better and better and better and you love to see a montage and this was a great montage this montage was long it for was a montage. so long it was like half the movie yeah the whole middle <laughs> chunk was him just getting just training and then like do it as soon again as, do it again yeah and as soon as you think he's done they're like all right we're doing one more weird fucking thing dude but he, he needs all this training so he can go and be a one-armed executioner yeah i was gonna say say? i was gonna say a one-manned army but he's more of a one-armed manny uh Um, uh, but yeah it's it's awesome man i mean these these filipino action flicks are sick they're dangerous and it's a just a perfect x-fest movie it's also these type of movies i feel like if like this is my first time watching this and seeing something like this for the first time at x-fest it's like the ideal way yeah, I probably wouldn't like love it nearly as much at home, but this is like you expect a couple of these in the X Fest, just like absolute brutal action movies that are so great. Yeah. Oh man. And and like I said, this is one that I've just known about forever. I've seen the trailer a million times. It's such a good trailer. Yeah, I don't think we mentioned I mean, assuming you listen to our past exhumed episodes, they often do this great thing where they show thematic appropriate trailers before a feature and so i think over the years harry has shown some incredible trailers that i think have oh yeah i see harry's played this trailer before no yeah. doubt no doubt i've been looking for some of those trailers i've seen on a vhs or a dvd for years still yeah, well, he, he's got his uh, trailer trauma release, right? Did, didn't he put that out? Well, I've been looking Garage for the movies House of them. Pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my downfall is always I will see trailers during the Exhumed screenings and get really excited about them, but because it's like such a long day of movies, that oh, by yeah, the you're, end, you're I'm frizzle like, fry. wait, I don't Whoa. remember what the Whoa. hell the trailers were. I remember a trailer. There's one we got to track that down. that Kung Fu one? No, no, this one was called War Bus. Oh, it that looks, was that. It looked really good. It looked fucking nuts. It's like one of those uh, like Rambo exploitation knockoff flicks where people are holding like giant guns and just kind of shaking them around. Like, like every like ten seconds, there's someone else unleashing like a torrent of bullets. There was also 
So the next movie on our list is a Shaw Brothers film, which means we got to see a bunch of great Shaw trailers. But there was one that was like Kung Fu Vigilantes or something. Uh, no, that no. looked incredible. Yeah, yeah, that one looked about? so good. What was that movie called? See, like, this is what happened. No, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it was like Kung Fu Warriors or something like that. It looked amazing. It looks so good. Oh man, yeah. I gotta. We gotta find out what all the trailers were. If anyone wrote them all down, if some psycho or perfect human out there did that, please send them to us. I want to track some of these movies psycho, down. Psycho, aka perfect human. I think. I think it's called Kung Fu Warrior. Oh yeah, I think so too. One of the really cool things about the training sequence that we were just talking about is them teaching him how to reload a gun. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah, because he's got one, one arm. He's got to put it in his <laughs> legs and pop a clip in there. Uh, what a great fucking They really like. use this throughout the rest of the film, yeah. showing him flip the gun up, catch it, shoot it. Very cool. I wonder how long it took him to actually learn how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> they probably just used the same shot of it over and over yeah. and over again. Yeah, these, I know that we talked about them in a past episode, but I'm kind of obsessed with these like disabled, like disabled warrior subgenre where it's like you lose a limb or you lose your hearing or your vision, but you're still just the most badass person ever. Jimmy Wang, you had that whole market just, he had it cornered. Yeah, he had, he really had a monopoly on the, uh, well, and Shintaro Katsu. Oh, yes. The rock skyscraper that we're talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah. What, what was his thing? He had like uh, imposter syndrome or something. He had one one leg and he was climbing around on, on uh, oh. skyscrapers. <laughs> wow. You okay? Yeah, I'm good. Just a little nervous. Well, you look very handsome. I just don't want to screw it up, you know? You have been preparing for this meeting for six months. You've got this. Let me ask you guys a question. Daddy loves who? Me. Daddy loves who? Me. Exactly. Daddy's going to go make that bacon. Gross. Unwatchable. Yeah, no good. All right. Movie number seven, the grand fucking finale. This is how I, I knew this whole day. I was just like giddy. And, and part of the reason why I'm so tired is because all day long, the I was sheer just, giddy I was giddy and <laughs> vibrating all day. I had this huge smile, like my cheeks hurt now because it was just, you know, the best day of my life. Every X-Fest is the best X-Fest they've ever done, in my opinion. Like, every year, I'm like, oh, wow, best year ever. This year really was, like, so good. And I knew it before the movies even started, just reading that list of hints, just like, wow, 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 wow. And then to see as the closer, because oftentimes they close, or in the past, they've closed with a sexploitation movie, like maybe a hardcore movie or something like that. And to see as their closer this year, Shaw Brothers Kung Fu Classic, what better way to bring it home? What better way to bring it home than a Shaw Brothers Kung Fu classic? And this is one where there's, you can't guess what it is. You can't. I mean, there are a thousand Shaw Brothers Kung Fu classics. A thousand. There's (laughs) even uh, so many. And I, I was, I just said Bloody Parrot because I was wish casting, you know? Yeah, I don't know. As much as I love Bloody Parrot, I don't know if it counts as a classic. It's, it's a deep cut. I don't know. I think it's a classic. I think it's an amazing movie. Uh, The movie we got was Chang Che's 1977 film, The Chinatown Kid. I was so happy to see it. So it's really long. And I think part of why we're all so tired is... Is it long? It ran over. Well, there's a bunch of cuts. There is an hour and a half cut, but luckily we got the two hour cut. Oh, that's what happened? So Chinatown Kid is one of those really interesting movies that I think 
is when you start to see Chang Che play around a little bit more. And so much of what's introduced here, I think, inspired the heroic bloodshed movies to follow. It's it's weird to see so many of my beloved Shaw Brothers stars in modern day clothing with guns. Like on some level, I don't want to see it. But I think Alexander Fusheng, who is the star of this movie, they were trying to make him kind of a competitor for Bruce Lee because like he's young and he's hot and he, he often, did that for fucking everybody. Yeah. You know? I honestly think he should have been. He is to me. He died he's young. So charming. He, he is. I am not a Shaw Brothers person. I don't just don't know that much. And I was completely captivated by especially his performance. He was just so good. It's it's a great character because he plays a foreigner twice over. The, the movie he's about he's like basically like a mainland mandarin guy who goes to Hong Kong and he doesn't have an ID. He he can't get a real job, so he's getting he, swindled. He swims there. Yeah, he yeah, he swims to Hong Kong. He's strong as fuck. And you know, it's it's kind of this sort of like sad story of him like he's squeezing oranges into like you know cups because he's, he's so strong about it yeah he's like happy to be doing anything he's just yeah, happy he, to he be goes, there he goes to live with his grandpa in hong kong and he he plays this character type a lot where he's like the dumb country bumpkin who just has a really good heart but is really naive and easily manipulated and has amazing kung fu. well the the thing about this movie is that like i don't think he's sad character but like every time he tries to help someone that's what gets him into trouble he every time he's doing that's the right what makes thing it sad i mean he's like the most positive person yeah. out there yes but i think why a lot of these movies that he's in do feel kind of tragic is because he plays this like genuinely good-natured young kid yeah. who and, gets manipulated but what's what's I mean, yeah, you're right. That is so tragic that whenever he does the right thing, it just like blows up in his face and he's worse off and everyone's worse off after doing the right thing. And then when he finally does give in to, you know, accepting, eventually he goes to America. And that's why I said he was a foreigner twice over. First, he's a foreigner in Hong Kong. And then he's a foreigner in San Francisco. Yeah, he has to flee from Hong Kong. When he gets there, eventually he gets in with some gangs. And he finally, like, has money and, like, all of the things that he wanted. Because the whole movie, all the man wants is a digital watch. <laughs> like, truly. the, the hey, MacGuffin, don't forget the glasses. The, and the, glasses. Yes. But, like, the true MacGuffin <laughs> of the film is just that he wants a digital watch. He, he wants to put wristwatch. And eventually he gets... When he finally has money, he's wearing like two digital watches on his wrist and he looks so ridiculous, <laughs> but it's just like, it's so pure that like, that's what he thinks it is to make it because he's just this country bumpkin. It's like, oh yeah, I got my digital watches now. And it's, it's so fun to see your Shaw Brothers movie with a bunch of like, uh, you know, they went to San Francisco for, you know, a couple days and just filmed the streets nonstop. They had their actor walking around in the streets and then everything else in set in San Francisco is shot at the Shaw Brothers studio lot. And it's just so it, awesome. It's so like, nice. Th- I like it better than the San Francisco scenes. I love oh, the line. Yes. It's so, yes. so charming. And and like there's one scene where they go into like a restaurant. So it takes place in San Francisco's Chinatown. And they go into the, the restaurant. And I didn't know yet that they were at the Shaw Brothers lot. Because it was like the first scene, like after seeing San Francisco cutaways, they walk into 
the restaurant and I immediately just like, smile. Oh, I know it's, this set. It's the tea house. It's the Shaw Brothers tea house. And I'm like, oh man, I can't wait to see this tea house get fucking demolished. Yeah, but it's somebody's like somebody's getting into at least one fight. In oh this my tea gosh. House. And there's there's this wonderful sign. He's like walking around to street vendors, and there's a sign uh, for someone who's like selling food. And it just says quarter pounder with cheese and Big Mac at this like street vendor. It's oh, just so pure. And they're all drinking Paps Blue Ribbon the whole time. It's amazing. Oh, 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 it's so Paps good. Oh, man. And like just I think Shaw Brothers movies are the perfect opener or closer to any marathon. Any marathon. It's just you know what you're getting and you're getting something good. I just thought this one was particularly interesting too because it is there's a lot of gunplay so it almost it crosses over to like Hong Kong action and kung fu in a perfect way. It really does. Like what Sam was saying where this felt like a precursor to the heroic bloodshed movies absolutely. This really felt like it had a lot of John Woo influences baked like in or not what influenced John Woo was baked into this yeah. movie for sure and and because it came out in 77 that is not the tail end, but we're, we're getting into the tail end of Shaw Brothers' dominance. By 77, Golden Harvest was the new kid on the block, you know, some upstart movie studio that was vying for a similar audience. And Golden Harvest started taking big swings, doing modern set movies that had the kung fu and had the gunplay. And when Shaw Brothers adapted to that stuff and took these kinds of swings it always made for a really really interesting movie yeah and part of what's so amazing here is you see a lot of those venom mob actors like everybody from crippled avengers is in this film they're just in modern day clothes and it's yeah. it's it's a little I, it's weird but amazing but also super young dick way i completely embarrassed myself when when I saw Dick Way, I like when did, did a little clap, but I was like the only one in the theater, and it was just like oh, like I could tell there was someone up in the balcony, like you fucking nerd, you know. Oh, they love that there. The the more obscure person you know. Yeah, it was just it's I love it. It's it's such a great day. I, and anyone who's listening to this, who has never been to an X Fest or never been to one of these like big exhumed marathon things. You owe it to yourself to make a pilgrimage at some point in your life. Like if you live far away and you need to take a vacation in, you know, late spring, early summer, come to the X-Fest. And if you want to go to the horrorathon, the 24-hour horror marathon. Yeah, it's the week it's, before Halloween. I mean, listen, it is physically and mentally taxing to sit in a theater for 24 hours, even 12 hours. Like, I mean, you know, it's it's no walk in the park. But God damn, it's just... It's awesome. It's electric. It's magical. It's, it's, it's. It also, our, our friend Bobby, who we've brought up on episodes before, we'll have to have her on as a guest. She's amazing. But she made a comment about how it also kind of feels like a family reunion. Yeah. And it's just so nice to see, like, obviously local friends like you who we see all the time, but also maybe other friends we don't see as much people from out of town. Yeah. It was great having people who listen to the podcast come up and introduce themselves. It really is. I mean, it's, it's, and... it really is just like the best place to see your friends and to see your people, like people who, you know, like, even if like you've never met before, you know that you just went through this thing together. You love these movies and you're just like, 
on the level. And it's just, it's so nice to be around your people. You're going to be able to talk about these movies for weeks with your friends. And yeah. it's like so awesome. And it's, everyone has a different take and it's so great. It really is. It really, really, really is the best thing. And honestly, I'm so proud of myself. I went through this entire marathon stone cold sober. You are a fucking liar. You did not. Okay. Okay. What I, I let me rephrase that. I was stoned cold sober. Okay. I was definitely stoned. <laughs> It was and freezing I was in the theater. So cold. Yes, I, I well, I kept warm though. I kept warm. I was cold sober. Yes. I Do was... monsters count? Because I drank like three of those. Oh no, you were fucked up the whole time, man. No wonder you're tired today. You can't have three energy drinks in one day. Yeah, you got to get that bang energy. Cocaine would be better than three monster energy. No, drinks. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. My 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 past says no. That's fair, and I, I mean, as Chinatown kid has taught us so, cocaine is bad. Okay, all right. Especially uh, shooting it up. I know I just did the whole like, oh, hey, we're ramping up the episode thing. But so you said that this was a two-hour cut of Chinatown Kid and there's a shorter version. I guarantee you that this movie had so much like cocaine and drug use. And there's a scene where a character... Which is shocking for a Shaw Brothers uh, movie. Absolutely shocking for a Shaw Brothers movie because Shaw Brothers movies were shot um, mostly in Hong Kong studios, but were done in a Mandarin language because they wanted, you know, to sell it to the broader China. And never do you see drugs in these movies. I mean, sometimes they might, like, Re- they reference, reference them. opium but in, like, in some movies, but, but you don't, like, see cocaine extended. out on a table. And at one point, a character who starts going down a dark path, a dark path, cocaine. Come on, guys, enjoy yourselves. Uh, a bright, shiny path. A bright, shiny <laughs> path. Shooting, shooting coke can and, be a dark path. Yeah, he yeah. pulls out a needle and and everyone's like gasps and after the movie was done we were like wow he went from like cocaine to heroin and i was like no no he was injecting the cocaine that was like a thing that seems like a dramatic jump from- yeah and he's like he's another sweet innocent student character who's there just trying to work hard chinatown and- kid is awesome so in the hour and a half cut according to my friend uh he doesn't die in the end oh that might be too much of a spoiler for some people but <laughs> no, no, no 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 i think I I think if you see any, or maybe not any, but if you see most of the Fusheng movies, they do end with characters dying. And and Chang Che as well. Chang Che loves a downer ending. The man loves a downer ending, and goddamn, I respect him for it. One of my favorite parts about the end when everyone's super delirious and Harry's... So Harry showed maybe like three or four Shaw Brothers trailers before Chinatown Kids started. And every time that Shaw Brothers Shaw Scope opening came on, people would applaud. But it got like kind of more deranged. Like, is this the movie yet? Or is it just another trailer? Yeah, there was the last time the (laughs) Shaw Brothers logo came up when the movie played. Everyone kind of laughed because they they were they're laughing at themselves because they had clapped for the Shaw Brothers logo thinking it was the movie like twice already. And yeah, you get magical moments in these kinds of marathons like that. But Shang-Chi did get a nice... He got like the final round of applause. Yeah. God damn. What a perfect God day. God damn. I'm so happy. Like I, 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 I'm sorry anyone listening because I have nothing interesting to say because I'm just like, oh man, I'm I love the movie. It's all that's awesome. I mean, but I mean, that's how I feel right now. It's just, it's so. A- any complaints from either of you? Uh oh, hell yeah. What are you talking about? I got fucking complaints. I got <laughs> stacks of goddamn complaints. All right, all right. First. First, this one's going out to uh, to Exhumed Films member Dan Fraga. You're you're getting old. I see you're reading stuff and you're squinting. You're squinting. You need to get better glasses, buddy. 
get get Fusheng to buy you some you glasses need, yep. from Chinatown, kid. Yep, 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 yep. That happens to me, too, so your excuse. Okay. Um, what, what else? Who else do I got? Um, uh, Jesse, another Exhumed guy. Um... You don't have any real complaints. Yeah, no, man. I'm fucking. I, I love. I love everybody. I love this shit. I mean, you know, this is this is great. They are truly like, they're, they're they are the film scene around here. I mean, yes, there are like other we have things, but too. yeah, yeah. But I mean, these are these are our guys. Like, I guess like the West Coast has like Quentin Tarantino with his movie theater and his giant movie collection. But like, we got it made out here. I mean, he borrows from Harry. So. Yeah. I'm sure that's it's a you know a, a, mutual. a mutual thing. Yeah, there's no way Harry has this many. I mean, they're definitely all trading and getting them from oh, all yeah, over. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also want a quick shout out all of our friends. We we got to like meet our homie Jay Anthropophagus. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> so weird talking to people regularly online when you only know like their Instagram handle or their Discord handle and then you meet them in person you're like oh yo it's what? you splatterguts69 <laughs> oh man I love you <laughs> god damn I'm tired it's bedtime alright alright Good night, everybody Good thank Good you night. for joining us oh yeah thanks dude. for having me you fucking rule man is, wait is there anything else you want to shout out no we're done I'm, I, we're I, done I, I, what are you talking about I'm hitting stop Thank you.